Well, it is just a delight to be with you this morning, and uh, as Pastor Nick mentioned, we're going to be jumping into Genesis 3 here in just a minute, but first, kind of set the stage uh, for one of the areas I'm asking for you to participate in with me during this series in. Uh, We're in the first month of what is a five-plus-month series called Growing Forward. It's about growing and changing in Christ. If if we're going to be a people who are about uh, pointing all people to a passionate pursuit of the radiant God, then we need to be a people that are growing in our passionate pursuit of the radiant God. And if we're going to be a people that are permeating the west side of Indianapolis with the hope of the gospel, then the hope of the gospel needs to be permeating in our lives. And so this series that we're doing is a strategic series. This is kind of a year of uh, building our foundation for what our future has before us. And uh, we're digging roots deep because deep roots go out. And so we're making sure roots are deep in this. And one of the things that I'm asking is that you would pick an area of your life to be growing in. And I've asked you to uh, prayerfully consider uh, two areas of your life. I'd use the screens that are up here a few weeks ago just as examples out of 1 Corinthians 13, Galatians 5, and and my A to Z list uh, here on the center. And uh, what is an area of growth for you that you could tell anyone about? I'm going to tell you what mine is here in just a second. But you could tell anyone about in the lobby with your family in small group, with friends, to your spouse, to your kids. And, and I'm really trying to help set the table for you to be able to take what we're doing and take it into your life. And let's not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. And so I've asked that you would have one thing you could tell anyone and one thing that's just between you and the Lord in that. And so uh, today with this, I want to hear from you what's your one thing. And the way that I'm doing this is uh, this QR code. Uh, Pastor Nick has already set it up. Grab your phone, uh, go to the photo camera, uh, point it up, and, and then click on it and it'll take you. Uh, to the page to where I would like for you to enter in what's your one thing that you could tell anyone. Um, and all of this is important and all of this is going to actually help me for the month of June as I begin laying out the series in the month of June at the closing weeks of this series, I want to get after some practical examples in various areas. And so I'm going to be grabbing from you things that you are seeking to, by God's grace, grow in with that. And uh, as you're thinking on that and doing that, whether you can do that, enter that in now. Don't enter in a sentence. Don't enter in a paragraph. Don't tell your life story. Just enter the one word, two words, three words, and mine is gratefulness. Gratefulness. By God's grace, I want to grow in gratefulness. And you may say, yeah, but Pastor Doug, aren't you kind of an encourager? Yeah, I love to encourage people. That's just, that's my jam. I love to encourage people. But I'm going to be, as the weeks go on, I'll share some of my journey in this whole subject of gratefulness as I grow in it. And um, gratefulness is a life core basis. I've, for me, I've chosen gratefulness as opposed to thankfulness because thankfulness can be a moment in time where you're thankful. Gratefulness is a undergirding, lifelong mindset. And the truth of the matter is, is I can be ungrateful um, by the one or two things that aren't there and forget about, oh my, all that God has done. 
In fact, let me just show you a couple of verses I've come across as I've begun in this. Uh, Jonah 2.9, uh, New International Version. Jonah is in the belly of the whale. He's in the belly of the whale. He's been running from God, and God swoops him in. And in the belly of the whale, he says this, but I with shouts of grateful praise. I, wouldn't you think that would be not the place to shout gratefulness? But he is shouting grateful praise. Why? What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. It's not because I'm sitting here in the muck of this belly's whale, whale's belly, but, but uh, um, now I'm totally off track. But because of who the Lord is, I'm going to keep going. Colossians 3, 16, one more, and then we'll jump uh, where we're headed. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish. That's kind of a thing for me. Uh, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing to God with gratitude in your heart. I want to grow in that. And uh, I want to thank you for entering in your one thing that's going to help me and may we be praying for each other and talking together about areas we're growing in with that. And I want for you to know how grateful I am for you. Uh, you keep me going. And I mean that more than you know. Uh, please turn your copy of God's Word to Genesis 3. Genesis 3. We're in the uh, part of our series right now. We're looking back. We're, we're going back and we're we're grabbing a hold, and we began three Sundays ago in Genesis 1 uh, through chapter 2, verse 3, the, the, the seven days of creation, and, and the title of that is Created by God, Created by God. Again, we're setting foundation for growing and changes. If we don't understand where we came from and how, where, how everything came about and how everything got messed up, that's today. Today's a heavy day. Um, Genesis 3, but we started out created by God, and then Genesis 2, we finish up the rest of that chapter, and it's placed by God, placed by God. Today, we're in Genesis 3, and it's a broken by choice. Adam and Eve created by God, placed by God, and even uniquely placed. By the way, they didn't get to determine where they were to be. They were placed by God. Mm, I'm telling you, that's going to have a lot of implication and a lot of application for you and me, because you didn't have a choice in what family you were placed in. You didn't have a choice in a whole bunch of things, but you were created by God. You were placed by God. And then today, we're going to be in broken by choice. Broken by choice. Next Sunday, Psalm 139 uh, the hope of it, known and pursued by God. Even though we're broken by our own choice, God still knows us and pursues us. Today's the heavy. Next week is the uh, delight in that. I want for you to know I'm keeping these four points because out of this beginning part of the series, this looking back part of the Growing Forward series, these are the four points I want for us to just keep before us, keep before us, created by God, placed by God, broken by choice, known and pursued by God. These are the things I want us to keep before us. Well, today we're in Genesis 3, broken by choice. Uh, I just want to walk through this chapter together. Uh, it's fascinating. And uh, let's see how things got broken. Have you under, ever wondered why do you get so frustrated with your own brokenness? Have you ever wondered why is this all going down in Ukraine? By the way, I have a sister-in-law who grew up in Odessa, Ukraine, all her life until her mid-20s. She's right now in Poland, flew back to Poland to try and get a friend's mom. I'm telling you, friends, don't you just wonder why is this world so broken? Well, let's see why. 
chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty or shrewd, or as I said in the first service, shrafty. Um, I'm having word issues today. Now the serpent was more crafty, more shrewd than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. Hold there for a second. If I so appreciate having the chapter breaks in there for us to be able to find places in Scripture and be able to get there quickly and easily together. But sometimes the chapter breaks break up the movement of things. Uh, if, if you just knew what was happening so far in what we know is Genesis 1, Genesis 2, and then we come into Genesis 3, it, it's quite a profound movement here at the moment. Because, one, we learn about this serpent, and if this is all that you knew, you, you don't know who he is. You don't know who this serpent is. You just know there's a serpent, and there's only one item at this point in time that we know about this serpent, that he's shrafty, <laughs> that he's crafty, that he's shrewd. That's the only thing that we would know about it. We know that this serpent is Satan. We know that from other texts of Scripture and bringing back. But if you were just right here at this moment and just moving along in the text, you're like, huh, there's a serpent. Okay, fine. And he's crafty. He's shrewd. And then you have uh, the Lord God. I mentioned last Sunday about, or the Sunday before in chapter 2, about how uh, in Genesis 1, it starts out with Elohim. It's plural. It's God. I think the Godhead. In the beginning, Elohim created. And you have that. Then all of a sudden in chapter 2, chapter 2 all of a sudden really brings the tables. It kind of narrows in on the creation of, of man and woman, Adam and Eve. And it tells us about that. And all of a sudden, uh, Moses, through the work of the Spirit as he's writing this, uh, tells us, uses the the term uh, um, Lord God or, or Jehovah Elohim. Uh, it's, by the way, Elohim, we could say the creator, and then uh, Jehovah, uh, the covenant, we could say the covenant creator. And, and that is carried on through. And all of a sudden we meet in chapter three, the serpent who is more crafty, more shrewd than any others. And yet know this also on the table, there is the covenant creator. I'm not talking about covenant theology. I'm talking about a God who covenants himself. It's a character reality. It's who God is. God is a covenanting God. That carries out. He's the one who created all things, and we have this. And he, this uh, shrewd serpent, said to the woman who we met at the end of chapter 2, Eve, uh, did God actually, don't you wonder what he, how he talked like? You know, we always think of this you know, kind of thing with that and all this, but it's like, you know, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? I'm going to tell you there's many things we could talk about among these kind of this interaction with between the serpent and Eve here. I'm not going to go into all the details. I want to leave room for you to be able to have conversations about, think about. Families go into small groups, interact with some of these as you can. He's not telling a lie. He's just asking a question. Did God know this? The, the core of the question is about the character and the goodness of God. That's just where it's coming at. He's not saying, are you hungry right now? And so I got an idea for some lunch. No, no, okay. He, he's, this is the foremost issue that's on the table here is about Elohim, Jehovah Elohim. Did he questioning who God is? 
And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Oh, by the way, I missed something because I want to note it. Why did he go after the woman? Hey, can, can we just set aside all of the sexist reactionary moment in all of this just for a second? Apparently not. Um, <laughs> let, let me, why Eve? Why Eve? I think it was a strategic move. Oh, I think it was a shrewd move because that's the only thing we know about him. He doesn't care about Eve. He doesn't care about him. He's crafty and he's shrewd. Why Eve? It's not because she's weak. I think it's because of the position in a shrewd one would do. I'm, I don't think he cares whether he's a woman. He cares whether he's a man. He's just going after who could do the most damage. And, and, and from chapter two, as you learn, God is the one who told Adam not to eat of the fruit. Told Adam first, and then Eve comes along. So clearly, uh, Adam had communicated to Eve what they're not supposed to do. And to be able to get at, if he, if he approached Adam first, I would suggest, I would, and this is purely uh, me thinking through the process of it, if he goes after Adam alone, now he's going to, has the potential to bring a, 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 a shrewd move on Adam and God. But if he goes after Eve, he's actually going after a shrewd move that will go after both relationships, hers and his, and hers and God's and in his. I don't think this has anything to do with a woman and being weak, come on. Like, that is so not the case in this. And if you have that thinking, grow up, right? I mean, with that, I mean, this is looking at the text, the way the text talks about it, and he's shrewd and he's crafty and he's not going after Eve because she's weak. He's going after Eve because I think Eve actually is positioned to be able to bring out the breakage of relationship between the two because if it was just at Adam, it would go at God. You think about it, you work on it and, and, and have fun. Uh, but he goes after her. Again, I think it emphasizes the shrewdness, the craftiness of Satan. Hey, friend, he doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care if you're a man, if you're a woman, if you're elderly, if you're a young one, if you're single, if you're married. He could care less who you are. All he wants to do is take you out and as many people with you as possible. Breathe, Doug. I get here in this text because oftentimes this text is approached like, you know, they did an oopsie. No, they didn't. This was a shrewdly crafted move to have a break between God's pinnacle of creation, man and woman, and to break that apart. And he could care less if she was a woman, care less if he's a man. All he wants to do is break people in the face of God. And know that he's after you. And all he wants to do is bring destruction with what's taking place. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your reputation. He wants to destroy churches. He wants to destroy people. He wants to destroy nations. He is wicked. He is horrible. And he is after you and after us. And let's wake up. This is a war. And sometimes we think that Satan is just that guy on the shoulder going, no, no, don't do that. Come on. 
It is this event that changes the course of humanity. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said, way to go, girl. Seriously, way to go. That's the way you go after Satan. You go after Satan with God's words and what God said. You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. Okay, that's added in there. God, look over in chapter uh, 2, verse 16, God tells Adam, you can eat it. He doesn't say you can touch it. How that happened? Maybe Adam, like, put that in there. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but that's added in there. And isn't that so like us? Man, we are Pharisees by nature. God says, don't do this, so we put a fence out here so we don't get close to doing that. And then you get another fence and another fence. And that's why you see the beginning of the New Testament where there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laws that man has put in place. And that's just who we are. But she's doing it right. God said, you shall not eat of the fruit, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And she's spot on. But the serpent said to the woman, <laughs> no, 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 you will not die. Again, the attack is at God. For God knows that you will eat of it, and yeah, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Can you imagine being like God? No, no, you will be in God, like God, and then you will be able to make the decisions on what is right and what is wrong. You see, that's the place where you want to be. And look what's happening with us today. We love to be in the seat of making decisions for who God is and what God says and how things work. And so now we can alter how gender is and we can enter how things work and we can have God-likeness. And it's the same thing. You will be like God. Yeah, that's it. You will know good and evil. Like knowing evil is something we want to know. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, physical, there was delight to the eyes, might I say emotional, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, might I say spiritual, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband. What's her husband's name? Adam, who was with her, and he ate. By the way, guys, this is one of the most sad representations of a man for God. Like, dude, what was up? in the lazy boy chair, kick back, having a drink, watching the game while your wife's going down and you're going to go down. This is a call for men. Men? Men? God's looking for real men who want to be real men for God. And this is one time that Adam bagged out. He got lazy in the moment. And look at the ramifications of what came out of that lazy moment. She gave some to him. Might I know in the flow of the verbs, the serpent said, Eve said, the serpent said, then Eve took and ate, gave and he ate. Uh, hey, friends, we're talking about grow and change in the whole picture of it. I'm going to be pulling all this together here in a bit. But in the whole movement of this, I'm telling you, growth and change starts right up here. You see, the battle on the table that's going on here, Satan wasn't even bringing anything out. He was going after their thinking and how they thought about things, how they thought about God and how they thought about themselves. Don't you want to be 
This is what you want to be, and this is who, who, would God really do that? Questioning God's character and questioning God's goodness. It's all a battle of the mind. And so often today, we seek to grow and change for God's glory by doing the mechanics of things. I'm all for the mechanics. I'm all for putting barriers. I'm all for having help points. I'm all for doing this. I'm all about that. But oftentimes we go to that and we forget the whole battle of the mind. And the war starts here, the war is fought here, and the choice to sin happens here. And we're so external that we want to forget what happens in the war of the mind. And they go down, they bite it. And then the eyes of both were opened. By the way, might I note, note there, and the, follow the flow of it, she eats, gives to him, he eats, I, and God said, you're one flesh, and it's like both their eyes, I, the way you read it is like both their eyes opened after he ate and they had both eaten. It's fascinating here and just how these things take place. And then they knew they were naked. Oh, that's why we're told at the end of chapter two that they were naked and not ashamed. And now we're told that they know that they're naked. Like, why do they care? Who else is around? Okay, we don't need to go there. And so what did they do? Answer. They covered and hid. And what do we do when we sin? <laughs> we cover and hide. Uh, so they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. You know, just don't even imagine it. And they heard the sound of the Lord God, oh, by the way, pause, and they heard the sound of the covenant creator. That is a hope moment in this. Because he is not just the creator, but he is the covenant one. He has covenanted himself here. And something just broke the covenant and yet, boom, boom, the covenant creator walked in the garden in the cool of the day. By the way, I'm going to put on this. You can have a conversation about this as well. I think the idea of the text is that the covenant creator was doing this walk every day. I don't know how long this event took place after the end of chapter 2, but uh, Eve is not pregnant yet. And they were told to reproduce and multiply. So I don't think it's a long time after, but sometime after that, they're going. And yet God is walking. And the movement of this, I think the feel of the Hebrew is, is that God was doing his normal walk with them. Can you imagine that? Talking about abiding, there we go. God put them, God created them, placed them in the garden of delight, and God is doing a stroll with them each day. Boom, I'm in on that. And God here, this is a unique day because they just bit it. And they're, he's walking in the cool day and the man said to his wife, oh my, that's in the Hebrew for sure. Hide ourselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Oh yeah, we cover, we hide. But the Lord God called out to the man, first responsibility. This is the time you don't want, you don't, you want to be Eve, not Adam. And said to him, where are you? Uh, you think the one who created this entire universe knew where they are? He did. God draws out the heart. Where are you? And he said, uh, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Not because you were in the garden, but because I was naked and I hid myself. And their covenant creator said, uh, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Oh, God knew. 
He's drawing the heart out. And the man said, question, what if right here, Adam repented? What if right here, Adam said, oh, covenant creator God, I sinned, I was wrong. What would have happened? I I, I have no answer for that, but I am fascinated by that. Would the same thing have happened after, or would God go, we got it covered? in a different way than it is now. What if he and what if Eve had just repented? Oh, I would be so curious to know what would have been different, if anything. And so verse 12, and the man said, here's a real manly man, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. What a buffoon. And that's a lazy man. That's a blame-shifting man. By the way, uh, ladies, Eve is going to blame-shift the same. And yet here, Adam is like, you know, she made me do it. Dude, grow up. But ultimately, you see how subtly in it, he's blaming God for it? This is the battle. This is the real battle. You see God somehow in this? You did this wrong. And might I throw out how often we think that same very question, we think about the question of creation and we go, why did God do it that way? Boy, it makes me question God. And that very same thing of subtly blaming God for his own creation like he set us up to fail. Careful, warning, when you and I do that, we can consider it, but when you and I go too far, we are thinking and acting just like Adam did. And then the Lord God, by the way, he doesn't even answer Adam. Can you imagine that? I wonder if he just like rolled his eyes like, Eve, how about you and I talk? (laughs) What is this that you've done, Eve? What if she repented? But the woman, she blame shifted to the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so God addresses them by the order upon in chapter three of which they enter the scene. First one on the scene was the serpent. Second one on the scene was Eve. Third one on the scene of chapter three is Adam. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock, above all the beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat in all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, I will put hostility By the way, hostility, separation, relationship, disaster is the name of the game that comes out of sin. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her offspring. uh, I'm sorry, between your offspring. Might I say it this way? There is serpent offspring and her offspring, human offspring. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between serpent, your serpent offspring, and her uh, human offspring. And there will be one who will come from her, is what it's going at, and he will bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. There's going to be a bruising blow by Satan 
on one who's born of the human race. And that one is going to be bruised by Satan, but that one is going to deal Satan a lethal blow. And by the way, we're going to remember that moment with a thing called communion here in not too long. That was the lethal blow. And then to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and pain you shall bring forth children. Sorry, ladies. You've had children. If I might say, if you could kind of look back at the pain of childbirth, there's a spiritual story in all that. child that you gave birth to is fantastic and wonderful and a gift of God, and yet there's also a reminder of how it all went down. Not only in childbearing is pain brought in, but there will be in your relationship with your husband if you're married. I will multiply pain in childbearing, and then there's this sentence that we could spend the whole time, but I'm just going to briefly, because I actually think it's quite easy to understand. Your desire shall be for your husband. I really think, as it's noted in my English Standard Version, against your husband, I think is a better understanding. Your desire shall be against your husband, and he shall rule over you. And this is the infamous passage where everybody all of a sudden starts sweating, and how's he going to talk about this, and what's he going to do? And I think really the answer is simple. Look over to chapter 4. Latter half of verse 7, it has the same Hebrew and tells us the same idea with this. And in it, it says at the end, sin is crouching at the door. Sin's desire is against you or for you, but you must rule over it. What's going on here? I don't have the time to go into it, but I'm just going to say this. This isn't saying that the husband rules over the woman. Listen, guys, if you think that's the case, I just want to say, stop it. Stop it. Because that is not the idea of Scripture, of a first responsibility, reality. That's not even Ephesians 5. You are to betray yourself like Christ going to the cross for your wife. That's the picture. You want a picture of what a husband looks like? It's not a king with a crown. It's like the one who's going down the Via Della Rosa, dying on the cross for his wife. That's the picture of what it is. And instead, here you follow over in chapter 4, and what do you see? Here's what's going on, Eve. Your desire is going to be against your husband, and his desire is going to be against you. And marriage just turned from a one-flesh reality at the end of chapter 2 into a war zone. Couples, you know what I'm talking about? Really? Like you don't have issues in your home? Come on. It's a war zone. And I think that's what's going on. You're going to experience pain in childbirth. Oh, and by the way, this beautiful relationship that I established, you're going to experience pain now because both of you want to be in control. And then Adam, verse 17. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, by the way, that's not a smack talk. That's essentially saying because you listened to someone else's voice rather than mine. Because you took someone else's voice over mine. And have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. 
Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. Very fascinating. God created women with the ability to be able to have children. And you're now because of sin going to experience pain. And you're a teammate with your husband, those who are married, and now sin has brought conflict in the home, and the home is going to become a war front. And Adam, by the way, the ground that I talked to you about tilling and taking care of, that's going to be rough hoeing from here on out. Friends, sin destroys. It's not an oops. Let's finish the rest of the chapter. The man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. They tried to cover themselves, but their own, hear the gospel in this, their own efforts to cover themselves fall short. And yet out of it, God makes a provision to cover them, to be able to retain in relationship, and yet there is a brokenness that ensues out of it. I wonder, if I, I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I, I put my money down, I will bet my money that that animal that was shed was a ram. A male lamb, a ram that God provided for Abraham. I don't know, maybe it wasn't. But can you imagine Adam and Eve? Did they see this? I'm inclined to think they did. Because uh, in this, uh, Adam is naming the animals and, and then Eve and they're a team together and can you imagine in this, I'm going to throw this out, you're going to think I'm a wackadoo, but I think animals talked before sin came in. Now I'm a wackadoo. <laughs> but I do, I just think even in Revelation when you see things, I think in some of these and animals are created as this unique kind of blessing of a relationship that is not to replace God, but God is just so kind with these animals in it and then Adam is naming them. And then can you all of a sudden imagine if they see God who walked in the garden killing one? And cutting off its skin. I'm going to guess that's the point in time when they understood that this was a bad choice. And then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man in the east of the garden of Eden and he placed the cherubim and flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. There is this real place, this real garden of delight on the earth 
And by the way, there's this flaming, like lightning sword thing going on with cherubim there. And just the way I work, how long did that remain around? Did that remain around until the flood? Did, did that somehow just go away? Because the picture now is there's this garden of delight and Adam and Eve are outside of it and you know, there's Star Wars. Can't come in, can't come in, can't come in. And now they are on the outside and they're remembering everything that happened on the inside and why they're on their outside. And by the way, they lived for a long time. And by the way, did that exist there all the time of their life? And by the way, how many people did they tell? Did they bring Cain and Abel when they were old enough to be able to come and show them the Garden of Eden? By the way, let me tell you a story on what went down. I don't know. Can you now picture Adam and Eve on the outside? They were sent out of the temple where God's manifest presence walked. And now they are outside, covered by God's provision. couple closing comments. The magnitude of the choice. Uh, This was no, hey Adam and Eve, please don't eat grandma's apple pie. And then they eat grandma's apple pie and then they get spanked or I guess you can't say that today. That's what happened when I grew up. And uh, then they were disciplined. They were given a timeout. There we go. And uh, it's not that. It's not that. This was a choice. Changed the course of humanity. They were not Adam and Eve with an oopsie. They were now Adam and Eve with a total depravity bent. And even saying, but it was unfair for God to put them in that situation, warning, because you are now asking a question that is very similar to what the serpent was asking of Eve. And we're beginning to question God's goodness and God's character in that. And it's okay to ask it, it's okay to ponder through it. Uh, As I've told a few Sundays ago, I think it's because real love required the choice. Otherwise, it isn't real love. But here in this, trusting in God's goodness and God's wisdom wasn't enough. They needed to become, well, self-independent, self-autonomous. Because it's better to be self-autonomous than to be in a situation to where you have to routinely, day in and day out, trust God. Better to be self-autonomous than to have to trust God, right? Wrong. But that's what went down. And by the way, every day, you and I understand that reality, don't we? Every day. Adam and Eve's choice was a choice to substitute their values of what was acceptable for God's stated values on what is acceptable. 
Hey friends, God created everything and therefore God is the one who gets to establish how things work. And growing and changing in Christ becomes about conforming to what God sets in place, not what you and I in our self-autonomous, desirous ways want to be. You and I don't have the final say. God does. And that's a hard truth to understand or grab a hold of because we want to be our own men. We want to be our own women. We want what's beautiful. We want what's desirous. We want that God-like capacity. And yet that choice is disaster. I don't think they understood the magnitude of their choice. I don't think they understood the magnitude of the consequences, but they all happened. Adam and Eve willingly and knowingly stepped out of the condition and position that God had set them in. One requirement he had, just one requirement he had, just don't eat that. Of all the millions of goodness that God had done, they had to have the one thing that he said, please not that. And well, let me make it personal in my own growth. How ungrateful of them. As someone, by God's grace, wanting to grow in gratefulness. How easy it is to look at the one thing that isn't what you would like it to be and lose sight of, yeah, you know. And their choice brought in this cataclysmic catastrophe. including our broken reality and including our broken choice. Hey, we are totally depraved because of Adam and Eve and we are totally depraved because we have chosen to sin. We can't blame them. We are like them. And we need to understand the depravity of our condition. Isaiah 59 two. but your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Habakkuk 1.13, your eyes, O Lord, are too pure to look on evil you cannot tolerate. Wrong. Romans 1, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since Since what may be known about God is plain to them, but because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that all men, so that all women are without excuse. Romans 3, there is no one who is righteous. There is no, not one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And if you're thinking about the people next to you or the people behind you or the people in front of you, you need to get your eyes on yourself. For the wages of sin is death. 
And the last one, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you were dead in your sins upon sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, but the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But the next two verses in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, are but God. Did you grab a hold of your communion cup there? Friends, this is a heavy Sunday, and my personal desire is someone who likes to actually encourage people is, is I just want to keep it light and I want to keep it happy. But friends, I got to tell you, we don't understand the depravity of ourselves. We don't understand the gravity of our sin. And we need to. Because if we don't understand the gravity of our choice and the gravity of the consequences of sin, we will never understand the beauty of the cross. Christ didn't die for oopsies. Christ died for people who are a mess. An absolute, totally depraved mess. Like me and like you. And it's when we take a look at the sin reality that it's this whole image of the body of Christ on the cross. Wow. Thank you, God, right? And in remembering the cross of the payment paid for our sin and depravity takes me all the way back to Genesis 3. And when God made the provision that included the shedding of blood as the thing that would cover. And thank God for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? So Lord, it's with heavy heart that we come to you in realizing the depravity of our own condition on ourselves. Oh God, how we lie to ourselves so often. We don't like being able to look in the mirror and see our depravity and see our brokenness. And so we try and cover it up. We try and blame shift it. Well, it's because my parents. Well, it's because of my kids. Well, it's because my job. Well, it's because, and, and, and we just get, we're just like Adam and Eve. Instead, God, I pray that you would teach us how to repent and what repentance is as we seek to grow and change for your glory. But may we not leave too quickly this place of understanding the depth and the depravity of our sin. As ugly as it is and as hard as it is, might we kind of sit here realizing the darkness of it, yet realizing in that the utter magnificence of you. 
Oh God, that you would love us. What a story that is. Amen.